I can't help it that whenever I hear the song, I go back to college, and um, many nights of karaoke. Some of you know that I'm a country fan and love listening to country music, and this song particularly takes me back. It's called, I've Got Friends in Low Places. Maybe some of you know it. I've got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. I'll stop there. I don't know what what you uh, uh, did to deserve me singing at you two sermons in a row. I'm sorry. Um, But it takes me back to that time when I was in in school, and actually I was also part of a uh, fellowship um, called the uh, Ashbrook Center for Public Affairs. And at the time, the director was a man who was a former uh, undersecretary of education. And one of the things that he said to us was, if you ever go out and get in trouble, I want you to call me. Because you represent the Ashbrook Center for Public Affairs, and I will do anything that I can to get you out of trouble. And he gave us his personal cell phone number. Now, this had two effects on us. The first was to say, wow, we've got a friend in high places. But the second was, us, was for us to take, uh, take pause in what we were doing because we didn't really want to call him if we got in trouble because he was a friend in high places, right? You get what I'm saying? We, friends, as we celebrate Ascension, have a friend in high places. We have the friend, as a matter of fact, in the highest place. Jesus Christ, not only risen from the dead, but ascended into heaven after 40 days. The scripture's witness is very clear on this. Uh, It's in our first reading today, which I brought forward from last Thursday, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It's in your order of service, but If you want to open up to it in your Bible, you're welcome to do that too. And look with me at that passage, Acts chapter 1, where we see Jesus speaking to his disciples before he ascends. We see in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So finally, it's come time for Jesus to ascend back to his proper place, to that place of exaltation at the right hand of the Father. And our gospel lesson today in John 17 has what's called the high priestly prayer in it. The high priestly prayer. You'll remember last week, we were in that section of John that stretches from chapter 13 to chapter 18, where 
Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and he's given them a new commandment to love one another and he's celebrating the Last Supper with them on his way to the cross. And so that's the framework of today's gospel lesson, how Jesus has promised to abide with them and is calling them to love one another. And if you were here, you'll also recall that there are three ways that we are to abide with Christ, right? The first was to be fixed or stable upon him. The second was to journey with him wherever he goes. And the third is to eagerly await his coming arrival at the end. But when we combine the Ascension reading from Acts chapter 1 with this reading of today's Gospel, John 17, we see that Jesus is planning to ascend and that it's been his plan, that's been God's plan from the very beginning. But we also might be scratching our head and asking, how can I abide, Jesus? How can I abide with you? What do I mean? Well, if Jesus has said, abide in me, and is now going to sit at the right hand of the Father, it's a natural question to ask. How are we to abide with him? And it's for that reason that Jesus reassures them so much in this part of John's Gospel. Jesus sees what he's going to do. And the church very strategically puts John 17 right here in that Sunday between the Feast of the Ascension and the Feast of Pentecost to help us come to that question. How, Lord, are we to abide in you? And of course, Jesus gives the answer in Acts that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon the apostles, and the Holy Spirit's going to enable the apostles to abide in Christ in all sorts of different ways. And that that promise of the Holy Spirit given to the apostles then is extended to all believers in Jesus today. Do you see how the logic is flowing? The readings are very intentionally set up in this way. But John 17 also answers another question, and that is not so much how are we to abide, but what, in fact, is Jesus doing right now? Right? Did you ever think about that? I mean, we'll say things like, Jesus lives in my heart, but that's actually not technically true. I mean, it is because of the mystery of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is actually bodily sitting at the right hand of the Father if we believe in what the Ascension readings tell us. That he has gone up to sit, taking mankind into the heavens, ascending. And what is he doing there? Well, Scripture does tell us that he's praying for us. That he's interceding for us, for you personally, as well as for the church. St. Paul writes to the church in Rome in chapter 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who indeed is interceding for us. 
The author of Hebrews confirms this and actually expands upon it, saying in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, or beginning with verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's actually a beautiful passage if you think about it, beyond the the theology, the fact that Jesus lives to make intercession for you and me as baptized members of the church. Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf. He is bringing before God the Father our needs. It's why when we pray our collects, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns now and forever, because we are interceding through him before the throne of God. Interceding, though, that's one of those churchy words, right? What's intercede mean? Right? We're not, we don't use that too much in, in common English. It's a particular word which comes from a Greek word pronounced entuxano. Entuxano. And it literally comes from a Greek word which means to run into. To run into. It's a weird image thinking about Jesus like constantly running into God the Father. Right? But that's the idea. To run into with petitions, with prayers. So Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, bringing these prayers to him. He's like, you know, the person that texts you, and then calls you, and then emails you, and then texts you again, and then rings the doorbell, right? He's unrelenting. He lives to intercede. And God the Father is not annoyed by it. He's pleased by it. He set it up this way. And so that's what Jesus is doing right now. You know, it's like it is having that friend in high places. It's like having that employer that your friend is fishing buddies with. Right? And so you might put your resume in, and your resume is as good as everybody else's, but who's probably going to get the job? The guy that has a friend in high places who knows the employer, right? All the things being equal, hopefully. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what he lives to do, to intercede. Interestingly, this is the exact opposite of what Satan does. You know what Satan's name means? The adversary. So Jesus is the advocate Satan is the adversary. And so Jesus is constantly interceding. That's part of God's plan too. And so the church puts John 17 here because it wants us to see what Christ is doing. What is he praying for when he prays for the church at the right hand of the Father? Look with me again at the gospel lesson, and it's on page four, the back of the scripture insert. What are the things that Jesus is praying for? 
Maybe we can start with verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus is praying that the church might have unity in the Father's name. What else is he praying? Look at 14 and 15. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That you keep them from the evil one. So the second thing that Jesus is asking for is protection. Protection. Deliver us from evil, we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Or deliver us from the evil one. That's what's being referenced here. Look at verse 17. He prays, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prays. So this gives us some insight into Christ's intercession for us. Unity, protection, sanctification. Finally, Jesus makes a very profound theological statement in verse 19. I don't know if you caught it. I had to read it twice when I was preparing the sermon. For their sake, he says, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now think about that for a moment. What does it mean to consecrate something? You know, sometimes in church we'll take a piece of furniture or um, a candle or something and we'll put holy oil on it and we will consecrate it for holy use, right? Now, what is Jesus saying here? He's consecrating himself. But how does this make any sense? He's the Son of God. He is God, right? The second person of the Trinity. How is he consecrating himself? Well, he's consecrating himself. He gives us the answer. For our sake. For our sake. Look at the, look at the rest of the verse there. I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus is consecrating himself so that we are sanctified, so that we are made holy. What exactly is going on there is a mystery, I think. Maybe some of you have some insights that you could share with me if, if you've thought about this passage before. But I think that Jesus is saying here that he's, he's consecrating himself, not because he needs it, but because we need it. St. Augustine actually says this on the subject. He says, but since on the ground that the mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, has become head of the church, they are his members. Let us understand that what let us understand that he meant that he would sanctify them in himself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. That they also might be sanctified in the truth. So what Augustine is saying is Jesus is looking forward to the formation of the church and the fact that those who are baptized into Christ have become members of Christ himself. The word member here is like, like an arm or a finger. That, that you're actually a constituent part of Christ's body when you're baptized and brought into the church. So what Jesus here is saying is that he consecrated himself 
for our sanctification, that we might become more holy. Thus, even here in John 17, Jesus is looking ahead to Pentecost. Jesus is looking ahead to Pentecost, to the work of the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to indwell us and sanctify us. So the Apostle John takes up this theme in our epistle today. The same John that writes the gospel, writes the epistle, and John says this. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, but let's start at the end and ask the question, how does a person know that he's been made holy and has eternal life within himself? Well, there's an easy way to know. Look at John, 1 John rather, chapter 5, verse 13, and hear what the apostle says to us. I write these things to you, says St. John, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, I want to stop right there for a moment. There's great confusion sometimes in the church about eternal life. Lots of people think of it as something that comes after death. And hopefully, if I've been good enough, I might have eternal life. No, that's not biblical. That's not scriptural. What the witness of the apostle here is to us is that, indeed, if you've been baptized and believed, you have eternal life right now. Right now. It started. The Holy Spirit's in you. And because the Holy Spirit's in you, that eternal life is working within you. Think about that for a moment. It's a wonderful thing. That as Christ abides at the right hand of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is in you. Working to sanctify you, to make you holy, to make you look more like Christ. But let's continue to work backwards. So let's look at verse 12. What does the Apostle say? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So it's very simple. Either you have the Spirit of Jesus or you don't. If you have it, you have eternal life. If you don't have Him, you don't have eternal life. Let's continue to back up. Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. What is he saying here? He's saying that to have the testimony of God is to have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. That whoever believes in God has the Holy Spirit who is the testimony of God. And you know what? There's more. That we have the assurance of salvation both being justified and being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Look back at verse 8. The Spirit and the water and the blood, all these three agree. Now, what's this talking about? The Spirit, the water, and the blood. All these three agree in the testimony of 
life in Christ. Well, what's the Spirit? Obviously, the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of the Word of Truth, the Spirit of Christ. What's water? Holy baptism. Holy baptism. What's blood? Christ's body broken. His blood shed. And so here in 1 John, we see God also instructing the church that to have life is to participate in the sacraments. To participate in the sacraments of the church. That they are the normative way that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify and feed us continually. To be part of Christ. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, what does he do? It's in Luke. It's in Acts. It's in Matthew. He blesses the church. But he does something else. He gives them a commandment, a commission, rather. We call it the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, we read. And when they saw, that they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, here's the promise, I am with you to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So Jesus makes it very clear that his ministry on earth continues in his people, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and through the sacraments, to baptize, to disciple, to teach. Through the blood, through Jesus' self-offering on the cross once, but celebrated in the Lord's Supper. What a wonderful epistle and what wonderful readings we have here on the Sunday after Ascension and how fitting they are for a baptism. In a few moments, we'll be baptizing Freddie But understand what's going on here, friends. That this is an act of God. An indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This action that we are doing is following the command of none other but our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as he's baptized, so we should recall that we, being baptized, also have this authority also have this power. You have a friend in high places, in the highest of places. Therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace, knowing that he will never cease to intercede on your behalf. Praise God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.